Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we have a special guest, the author of Saving the Art of Medicine. Dr. Alan Sussman is a board-certified endocrinologist and clinical assistant professor at the University of Washington, and he is the co-founder and president of Rainier Clinical Research Center, where he's been involved in hundreds of evidence-based studies and the development of groundbreaking technology for the treatment of diabetes. Today he's going to share with us his latest endeavor, which is a wonderful book I've had the great pleasure to read, Saving the Art of Medicine. So thank you for joining me today, Dr. Sussman. Thank you a lot, Kathy. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, I think there's so much to be said for the medical practice, and particularly when we're dealing with a lot of folks who may have had a lot of stress during COVID. We're hearing about high levels of burnout. We're hearing about this through all levels of medical staff. I think the art of medicine, truly, it is a science, but it's also an art. Now, you know, I'd be curious if you can describe your evolution as a physician, your progression from kind of bookish, as most of us are in school, to mindful, to heartful and why it's important to hear your story now. Great. Yes. Well, the, uh, I, as you know, in medical school, there's a lot of learning you have to do, a lot of information, and you want to try to learn it all. And at that point, you get a certain framework of how to practice, but that information has to be integrated eventually into when you see patients. And the more, more I got into practice, the more I, I became very aware of how important the relationship with the patient was and that, and that it was more important often for me to be talking to the patient about what was going on in their life and being very mindful of what they were, what they were saying. And it was not the information that I was giving them that was the most important part of the visit. Uh, and very often we would find out a lot more about the patient by just talking to them. Uh, and then what happened to me, I had changes that happened in my life where I, where I had to, uh, where I ended up developing more by heartfelt sense of what's going on, which led to the beginning of a meditation practice. And in that, I, I became very very aware of the other realm of being. Uh, it almost becomes spiritual, but it's just a question more of unity, that we're all together here, and that there's a lot of mystery and awe that's present, that's important, that the doctor be aware of and have humility, and not just look at it that he has all the answers, but that he can learn, he or she can learn, as well as the patients as they're going through a visit. You know, I I often hear things from patients that teach me in a variety of different ways and has for the last couple of decades. I'm curious, you talk about being present, being mindful during that interaction with a patient. How can doctors meaningfully connect with patients when we sort of have a commodified healthcare system that pushes for volume and profit and getting things done, sometimes to the detriment of what we want to do with patients. Absolutely. And 
commodification is a very important word because it has to do with commodity. That medicine has become a commodity that's measured, and it does not look at the personal interrelationship as the most important part. And what happens to doctors uh, is that they become so intertwined with all the rules and regulations and information that they need to do all the time that it's hard for them to act just as a good human being with another one and interrelating with each other. So what becomes important is, is a reflection that has to happen, a reflection of why did you become a doctor. And, and most, most doctors were idealistic at the beginning of what they can do, and some of that was beaten out of them by the system. So to me, it's a question of priority, a reprioritizing. You start out with what I call the means of what's, what counts, the means of production of what you're doing, the bean counting, the number of patients versus the meaning of, the, of your existence and the relationship that you have. And it's a reflection where the doctor has to look more at the sense of what they want to be. And if they don't, the chance of them getting burned out increases quite a bit. So it's, so there's a question of a balance in their life. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, when I started medicine, there were very few women that were in medicine. And over time, there became more and more women involved. And I think they were very... At, very important in changing some of the direction of medicine where where they were doctors, but they were also very involved with their family. Um, and and so I think it's it's being the whole person. And when you're the whole person and you want to be the whole person when you're with the patient, it only can have a better result than feeling I got to time what I'm doing right now to the moment. I got to come up with the right code to put down for the for the visit so I'll get paid adequately and then that you have to spend the time transcribing it and putting it into form in order to get paid for it but but get more of the satisfaction of the relationship developing relationship with patients I think is very important do you think that electronic medical records have helped with developing relationships or have they actually kind of taken away from the experience when physicians sit there with their patients? Yes. Well, I think a lot of uh, patients, I think, have been put in a situation where, where it's a threesome in the, uh, in the visit. There is the doctor, the computer, which is between, that, between them and the patient. So, they, so that distracts and doesn't allow for true interaction to occur. Hopefully, I am hoping that this will change with the new AI large language model, which can act as an excellent scribe and not have the uh, doctor need to be transcribing and allow, them, allow the doctor to be more involved with what they would need it to be in which is being with the patient. Because when electronic medical records were first started, 
they were started where there's a great influx of money that was put in during the Obama administration, and this is when we were going through our uh, recession, and they were trying to pump the economy with money, and they were trying to do that by trying to get everyone to go on electronic medical records, which unfortunately became a vehicle then to refine and hone how to bill for visits was the most important part of what uh, of what what the results were and not in terms of how it could be used for the best benefit of the patient and doctor together well i do share your vision that potentially using the large language model and using ai and other tools and techniques we might be able to make electronic medical records work, work better for clinicians and for every aspect of the healthcare system. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come right back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Alan Sussman about how there's actually significant evidence that being mindful, even at work, can have a significant impact on the healing of patients and also on how well the physician's health does as well. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm pleased to be joined by author Dr. Alan Sussman of Saving the Art of Medicine. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the potential for technology to help create this ease of the ability of physicians to be present in an interaction with patients. You know, and I want to touch on that briefly because I do think that there's a big scare about you know, what will AI do or do we want to have that involved in medicine? But I have to say that given the fact that, as you described earlier, doctors often are doing, you know, computer order entry. They're doing documentation during a visit. They're typing things in there. They're creating diagnosis codes and billing codes and all these other sorts of elements. You know, I, I even myself in an exam room with a patient, I find myself looking at the screen and then having to put it away and say, okay, now let me talk with the patient. There's a lot of that that's just busy work. And it really doesn't take a medical professional or their level of education to do a bunch of busy work. I think there's there's something to be said for leveraging the ability, even that we have with computers right now, to streamline things so doctors can be doctors and not transcriptionists and not order entry clerks and not diagnosis searchers and billers and coders and all those sorts of things. Where do you see that changing? And hopefully in the near future, give me some hope. Yes. Yes. Well, it's it's going as I think people are seeing at lightning speed right now in terms of incorporating large language model AI in all sorts of areas of our life right now. And there are big institutions that are looking at it right now to incorporate that. Um, in terms of the, particularly with what we were just talking about, the transcription, when we uh, when, and when we talk about diagnosis, it, I don't think anyone should be fearful that the computer is going to do the whole visit and the doctor is just on the sideline. They, no, no one is anticipating 
that it's going to be the computer that's going to come up with the final diagnosis and the final treatment plan without the physician determining what is the best course of action and using reason of what is the best way to go. Uh, I think one important one important area is a word that I really love from the Greek, which is called phronensis. And what that means is uh, is wisdom. And it's the wisdom that doctors get through their experience over time that's invaluable in deciding what what should be done. And the information is just a little part of it. So I think there could be a lot of good in terms of big data and using AI to try to help sort through through all the information. But at the end of the day, what it's going to allow is the doctor is not going to have to be as cluttered with every piece of information, but is going to be able to spend the time with the patient, learning them as a whole human being. Well, and that gets to the concept of listening, truly listening deeply to what patients have to say. That old saying in medical school where you know, 85 or 90% of your diagnosis is based on your history and doing an evaluation of what the patient's telling you. Maybe not even on physical. Some of that's going to be helpful, but really it's that aspect of listening. Have you, have you seen where that deep listening level improves patient outcomes? Yes. Well, you know, you know for me, it's, it's a very uh, personal experience. Uh, what might be interesting, just to quickly just mention one, one study that was fascinating, where just to show what interaction and listening, how that can have an effect on outcomes, there was a study where there was anesthesiologists uh, who were doing their pre-op for surgery, and they were given, divided into two groups, one group that was given a script that covered all the details that needed to be done with the surgery uh, and very thoroughly. And the other one, was it was changed so that it was to develop a relationship with the patient, and albeit rather short. The anesthesiologist didn't know the patient before. Then they followed them after surgery, and they saw there was a significant difference in the number of patients that were, let's say, in the ICU and how long they were on uh, respirators, how long they were on IVs, how long they stayed in the intensive care unit. So very subtle things of interaction and uh, and attentiveness. Listening is just a question of also being uh, being attentive to what what is going on can make a difference. How would you describe the open mind as a clinician? Uh, talking with patients okay well that's because of my meditation practice that's a very important part part of it and what it has to do with an open mind is that you are open you are you are ready to let other things in that you might not normally be thinking of uh, in order to really look at the whole picture and not just part of it you know, there's a fascinating little study of uh, showing how people interact, where there's a, a guy in a gorilla suit 
that's going through a bunch of basketball players that are passing a basketball, and the and the people that are watching it are told, look, count how many times the ball is passed, and there's two different balls being passed in different directions, and over half the people never saw the gorilla in the gorilla suit walk right through them. They were not open. They were too focused on just a small little area. So open can allow for a lot more potential for changes that might need to be done. Oh, I remember hearing about that study. And how did you not notice that? But then when they showed the actual situation of this human in a gorilla suit, and he's like, I'm right here. Everyone's like, how did we miss that? Attentional blindness to what was staring them right there on the screen because they were told, focus on players of different jersey colors and not necessarily looking at the overall picture. And I think that that really gets into what we often see in the medical world. You know, I find that these days we have a specialist for everything. We have you know, cardiologist, gastroenterologist, endocrinologist. And the idea, I suppose, is that there's one doctor overseeing all of that. That would maybe be your primary care doctor, who these days tends to be checking on your cancer screening and making sure you've done fall screening, depression screening, and have you met all of your little marks and checkboxes and done all your quality metrics. And And I don't know if that's leaving somebody to have this more reductionist aspect of their body as opposed to who they are as a whole person. How do we get back to that kind of holistic way to practice? Well, and, and number one is it has to be emphasized in medical school. And, and, there are, and there are attempts at trying to add in different parts to it. The problem is there's such a massive amount of information to learn in subject matter that it's not given very center uh, appeal in terms of uh, in terms of being in- instituted, um, and this is, and again, one hopes that the information part can be done more and more by AI, so that there'll be more and more time for the patient and doctor to to interact with each other. Now, a lot of times, people will often say that potentially it's that relationship that you have with your regular doctor that is going to help you to navigate the healthcare system and and get the care that you need at the right time by the right specialist and and I often find that that's the very same dilemma that we have when we talk about dealing with burnout and physicians who are feeling distressed and demoralized and what is it that you think we can do as physicians? What also can patients do to help bring medicine back to where we want to receive it and where physicians want to give it? How do we restore that relationship back? Yes. Well, I, I, I think when looks at the situation right now, both sides of the equation has to be empowered more in that direction. The patients now have a lot of information that they can go through. It's really quite information overload, but they have to become uh, aware of and think about is the most, is the best doctor that I can see, is that the best doctor who knows all the information? Is that what I want? I've heard all sorts of 
patients said, well, he seemed to know everything, but I just can't relate to him, and I don't know what I don't know if I can do what he says. Uh, so it's so it's again, we're back to the relationship and empowering. And the patient should get empowered, saying is they should ask questions. Of course, that means they have to have time to ask questions, right? So, so I'm hoping that there can be the time, and the patient should not be bashful to ask questions, and not and not put the and realize their their relationship with the doctor should be a mutual one. It's not one of the doctor knows everything, and I got to just listen to what what is going on. It's a question of you as the patient know yourself, and and the doctor does not know you like that. So they both they both very important parts to be to be looked at, and then what that means from the physician point of view, they have to have a lot of humility, and it's a good humility. It's a question that they that they know. Uh, they know they don't know everything. Uh, there's a quote from a theoretical physicist who was supposed to be the heir of Einstein at one point, who says, whatever you think it is, it isn't. There is that quandary of ultimately knowing something. And the best thing that I would always tell patients is, uh, when I give them a whole bunch of information and they're looking cross-eyed at me, what am I supposed to do with it? I said, I have good news for you. This information will change over time, but our relationship can only get stronger. It just sounds like that would relieve anybody's mind if they were sitting there in the exam room with you. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll be right back after this quick break, continuing our discussion with Dr. Alan Sussman on his book, Saving the Art of Medicine. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm having a discussion with author Dr. Alan Sussman. He's an endocrinologist, and he wrote a wonderful book, Saving the Art of Medicine. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the information overload. These days, you can go to Google and find out information about a variety of different medical diagnoses, hopefully go to pretty appropriate websites to take a look and not necessarily read stuff that isn't accurate, one of the other big concerns about what you can find. People search Dr. Google all the time, Dr. Sussman, and, you know, often they feel like they have a fairly good grasp of evidence for a variety of different areas of treatment and medicine, and yet sometimes it's not so much about evidence. It's not about proof. It's about maybe knowing what you don't know and knowing what what you you feel comfortable moving forward towards. What are What are your thoughts on relying on evidence only as a reference for what we should tell patients to do with certain medical conditions. Yeah, yeah. Well, the one one important point is is realize the power of the of the mind and and where you are and where you are what you are thinking is very important and whatever information you're given 
if you're depressed, you're probably not taking all of it in, and you might not be getting an optimal effect. If you're very engaged and enthusiastic with it, you can get a lot more out of it. And there's even a curious little study that I've always enjoyed reading where where they had a group of aged people, uh, I guess I'm one of them actually, but uh, uh, who are given cogn- cognitive tests, and then they, on, on a computer, then they're told to just stay on the computer and just follow, look through the computer and do different things with it. While this is going on, there's a subliminal, which means below the level of perception of different words that appear on the screen. And then afterwards, they're given cognitive tests again. And one set of, of, the, of the people, of the aged people, were given words of encouragement, strong, strength, resilience, wise. And the other ones were given words like, frail, weak, demented, and and it showed in terms of the results on the cognitive test, uh, uh, in terms of the ones that are given positive signals, did better. It kind of gets me back to when, you know, you were younger and people said, if you believe you can do it, then you're more likely to be able to. That if you go in with this mindset of, I think I can learn it, I can get better at it, I can master that, this growth mindset, that that's going to get you a lot further than if you go in with sort of a defeatist thought. Okay, I'm a victim. This is what's going on. I can't really do anything to change it. I must accept this. That it really does have a lot to do with your mindset and how you view certain things. Right. Right, and that's part of what the relationship should be with the, with the doctor to try to really promote that because it's in, it's important, uh, and it goes all the way to looking at things like placebo effect, where they say, oh, this is a, a material that doesn't have any physical effect that should lead to any positive result, and there are studies that people are told that they're given a placebo, but they said, give it, give it a chance. Who knows? and they would have a positive response from it, just because maybe the attentiveness of the person or the attitude that the person had towards the uh, health care situation where someone was there who wanted to help them and was talking to them in a very positive way. I often think of the placebo effect, and people say, where's the proof that the mind actually has control over healing? And I'm like, you know, that's called the placebo effect. That's exactly what we're talking about is that's where you actually get a chance to see somebody might be able to get better because they truly have an intention that they're going to get better. And it's, it's dramatic. I, I've seen it myself. Yeah, well, well this is, a, this is a, when you look at evidence-based trials, and I've, God knows I've done a lot of them in my day, uh, part of the whole deal with that was how do you eliminate the placebo tra- uh, effect? Because it could be so strong that it can overwhelm the study, uh, so it's so it's so it's well recognized, and uh, and and it depends on your point of view, of whether you want to try to increase that effect, or whether you want to just work with pharmaceuticals purely. Well, I'll tell you, there's no side effects to the placebo effect. 
So right. I, I'm all for it. I don't want to eliminate yeah. it. I'd, I'd love to get more of it. Well, I definitely want to thank you for spending some time with us and sharing your expertise with us on The Body Show. If people want to read more Saving the Art of Medicine, where can they find it? Well, it's, it's on Amazon. It, you can even get it through bookstores. Uh, if you go, you can find out more about generally about the book by going to my website, uh, www.savingtheartofmedicine, all one word, dot com. And we'll give you a lot of information that you can decide if, it, if the book resonates with you. Well, I want to thank you. I did get a copy. I read it, and I think it's it truly does encapsulate your career in medicine and shares with us all the various journeys that you've taken, going from the beginning of, like you said, being bookish to now being a healing expert. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on whypublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. See you next week. Mm-hmm.